This episode of Gunblog Variety Cast brought to you by LawofSelfDefense.com. Go to LawofSelfDefense.com forward slash variety to learn about your state's self-defense laws. Sign up for one of their online or in-person seminars or buy the book Law of Self-Defense and get 10% off when you use the discount code variety at checkout. That's LawofSelfDefense.com forward slash variety. Sit back, relax, and take a ride with us on the Gunblog Variety Cast, episode 58. Welcome back to the Gunblog Variety Cast. I'm your host, Sean, from NC Gunblog, and with me today is Adam from Guns, Cars, Tech Blog. How are you doing, Adam? I'm about 85%. Ooh, that good, huh? Yeah. My eyes have been at half-mast all day, I'm getting no sleep, and I don't even have children as an excuse. Well, you get used to it. Ugh, no, I don't want to get used to this. No, actually, you don't get used to it. So, let's get started with a tactical dog and fitness report. 25.9 dog walking miles, and more frisbee in the yard. I'm still recovering, so I'm a baby. I actually did get on the treadmill on Tuesday, but then on Thursday I didn't. I can't remember why, but yeah, I'm not doing so good. <laughs> Yeah, I understand. If you're even remotely as tired as I am, I mean, I I got up this morning late because I had a specific meeting that I had to go to instead of like my normal job. Right. And I didn't have to leave here till eight o'clock and it was raining and I knew it was going to be raining in the morning. So I slept in for the hour. Then I started coughing at about midnight 30 last night after only having got to bed at 1130. Uh-huh. Well, let's just say the wife told me, look, if you're ever going to barf in my sink again, at least rinse it out after you're done because that turned into concrete. Yeah. I didn't realize, I, I thought I'd just spit in the sink, but apparently... There was a little bit more. Yeah, so I got to bed at 2.30. Awesome. Lovely day. Yeah. And now it's time for Blue Collar Prepping with that bratty kid sister of the gun blogosphere, Aaron Paulette. Aaron's going to talk to us about wildfire preparedness. Come on, every pony! It's time for Blue Collar Prepping with Aaron Paulette. <laughs> Aaron, I saw this crazy video of a person driving his car through a wildfire. It looked like something out of the movie Constantine. I grew up in California and wildfires are a serious concern. Do you have any advice for our listeners who might be affected by them? Oh, absolutely. I lived through the Florida wildfires of 98 and my co-blogger David Blackard is in Northern California right now and is keeping track of the Napa Valley fire. So we at Blue Collar Prepping take fires very seriously. There's actually quite a lot you can do to prepare yourself and your home for fires, likely more than I can cover here, so I'm going to do like I did for hurricane preparedness, where I just hit the highlights and refer listeners to our blog for in-depth information. Now, to protect your home, you want to make it as flame-resistant as possible, so it's a good practice for anyone, not just those who live in wildfire areas, to clear what is known as a defensible space of at least 30 feet around your house. If you live on a hill, you'll need to clear more than that because fire likes to climb. Now, making a defensible space means removing flammable vegetation and underbrush, especially anything that is touching the house like vines or tree branches. And branches within 15 feet of the ground should be removed as well. Don't use wood mulch next to any structure during the dry season. 
If you have lawn furniture, move it indoors if possible when it's not being used. And go up on the roof and make sure it and the gutters are clear of leaves, pine needles, and other combustibles. A stray spark floating on the breeze can land there and catch fire, so do as your wife says and remove all those potential fuel sources. Make sure you have garden hoses that can get to every part of the house in case you need to put out an encroaching fire. And if you're allowed, water your lawn frequently. If you know that a wildfire is near and you might be in danger, pack your car with your bug out bags and other essential or sentimental items like family albums. If you feel that a packed car would be a temptation for theft, but maybe you don't have a garage, for example, then create a staging area near the door where you can quickly load up. In some of these instances, people have been given only minutes to evacuate by the fire department. If you have items that are too valuable to be left behind, but are too fragile or too large to take with you, say your grandmother's china or a gun collection, place them in a waterproof container and submerge them in water. An outdoor pool is perfect for this, but a filled up bathtub will do. Just put something over it like plywood to help protect it against falling debris. Make sure your car is in good working order with a full tank of gas and properly inflated tires. If you're going to bug out and your car doesn't work, you are in serious trouble. Keep aware of what's going on by listening to the news or signing up for smartphone alerts. The Red Cross has a great free app for both Apple and Android phones, and I've got links to that in the show notes. If your city can spare the water, get your roof and lawn as wet as possible. Disconnect any propane bottles and keep them away from the house. If you've got a pool, that's a great place to put them. You can drag furniture and curtains away from doors and windows to the center of the room, but don't delay your evacuation for this. And most importantly, when you are told to go, go. If you wait, you will either die or you will need to be rescued by personnel who are already stretched thin. Now, when it's time to go, pack up your bags and get your family and pets to safety. Before you leave, shut all the doors and the windows and turn the lights on in every room with a window. This will help firefighters see your house through the smoke. If, and I stress, if you have the time, Shut off your utilities, especially gas. Know where you need to go beforehand. Don't wait until you're on the road mid-evacuation to figure out where you need to be. If you plan to take more than one car, make sure everyone knows the route and the destination. If you need to keep in contact, walkie-talkies often work better than cell phones during an emergency. Close the vents in your car and turn off the air conditioning to keep the interior as smoke-free as possible. In that video you linked, you can listen to the driver. He's coughing as he drives. Use something to keep the smoke out of your eyes and lungs. Swim goggles and a wet bandana or shemag will do for this. But another good option to keep in your bug out and get home bags is a disposable particle mask. There's an example called Ready Mask. It folds flat to about six inches square, costs around $7, and protects the eyes, nose, and mouth. Now, how good is it? I've included a video that demonstrates a ready mask wearer being pepper sprayed at point-blank range with no ill effects. So if it'll work for that, it'll definitely work for the smoke from a fire. And don't forget to turn on your headlights to make sure you can be seen through the smoke. You may not be able to see as well through the smoke, but others can definitely see your headlights, and it'll help protect you. And of course, drive carefully. Again, all of these are highlights. There's so much more you can do, so I encourage our listeners to follow the links below and read them. All right, Aaron. It was good to talk with you. I'll see you again next week. Take care. If you'd like to read more from Aaron, check out her blog, lurkingrhythmically.blogspot.com. 
So did you see that video of people driving through this wildfire? I did, in fact. Oh my goodness. Yes. I think that was a very important point that Aaron made. When they tell you to leave, just go. Yeah. You're not going to stop that fire from burning down your house. No. Get out. Let it burn. If you're worried about losing all your stuff, well, that's what the insurance is for. Yeah. One of the things you should remember, if you have a pool and you're in wildfire territory, in most cases, the firefighters will come and take your water if they need it. Right. That might be the only way to stop the fire at your house or the neighbor's house. But they're going to fight the fire their way. If they have to sacrifice your house to save something else, they will. Right. So keep that in mind. Clear that brush away and hope for the best. Felons behaving badly. Two charged with murder in Briar Creek Walmart shooting. Dateline, Raleigh, North Carolina. Two men are now behind bars at the Wake County Detention Center, less than a week after Raleigh police opened an investigation into a deadly shooting at a local shopping center. Raleigh police say suspect 1, 25, shot and killed 39-year-old victim 1 on September 17th outside a Walmart in Briar Creek Shopping Center. Victim 2, 36, was also shot in the incident, but it was expected to survive. Suspect 1 is now charged with victim 1's murder. Police have not said if suspect 1 will be charged for shooting victim 2. Suspect 2, 24, was taken into custody Thursday in Durham with help from the Durham Police Department, Raleigh Police said. Suspect 2 is being held at the Wake County Detention Center. As part of the investigation, police released surveillance images of the suspects fleeing the scene. Detectives say the investigation is still ongoing and they continue to look for information on the case. So, dispute in a parking lot, a bunch of concealed carriers arguing over a parking spot. Sure. Sure, that's how it always happens. Blood in the streets. Suspect one, robbery with a dangerous weapon, conspiracy 72407, felon class E. Suspect two, carry concealed weapon, 620-2009, misdemeanor class two. Drug paraphernalia, use possess, 918-2009, misdemeanor class one. Drug paraphernalia, use possess, 429-2010, misdemeanor class one. Discharge firearm, occupied property, 93-2011, felon class E. Discharge firearm occupied vehicle, 9-3-2011, felon class E. Possessed with intent to sell, Schedule 6, 7-22-2012, felon class I. Drug paraphernalia used possessed, 7-22-2012, misdemeanor class 1. Victim 1, damage to property, 7-5-94, misdemeanor. That's a pre-fair felon, so it doesn't have a class. Drug paraphernalia used possessed, 11-12-2001, misdemeanor class 1. Driver's license revoked, 11-12-2001, misdemeanor class 1. Carry concealed weapon, 11-12-2001, misdemeanor class 1. That sounds like a really bad traffic stop for him. <laughs> yeah. Didn't have a license, had drug paraphernalia, and a concealed weapon. Yeah. Victim 2, carry concealed weapon, attempted. Attempted? How do you attempt to carry a concealed weapon? It wasn't all that concealed? I, I don't know. I Okay. In any case, 12-15-2002, misdemeanor class A1. Maintain any place controlled substance, 7-9-2003, felon class F. Possessed with intent to sell controlled substance, 7-9-2003, felon class H. Possessed with intent to sell controlled substance, 7-2-2004, felon class H. Discharged firearm, occupied property, attempted, 7-11-2004, misdemeanor class A-1. Possessed firearm, insanity plea, attempted, 7-11-2004, misdemeanor class A-1. That sounds like, you know, maybe he pled insane sometime previous to that. And then he was caught with a weapon. Because I think if you plea insane, you're basically telling them that you shouldn't have a gun and they mark you down. I don't know. I mean, he was already a felon yeah. at this point. So he was already prohibited there. <laughs> Drug paraphernalia, used, possessed, attempted, 9-22-2004, misdemeanor class A1. Wait, how do you have attempted drug possession? Drug paraphernalia possession. Yeah. This guy was a hot mess. 
Drug paraphernalia used possess 927 2004 misdemeanor class A1. Assault with a deadly weapon executive legislative officer 114-2004 misdemeanor class A1. Communicating threats 114-2004 misdemeanor class 1. Resisting officer attempted 113-2004 misdemeanor class A1. There's another one of these attempted. Again with the attempted. How how do you attempt to resist an officer? <laughs> you either do or you don't. But that seems very binary. I'm going to resist you. I'm attempting to resist you now. You're not doing a very good job, so we'll, we'll give you the break on it. Maybe that's what it is. They like gave him attempted because they, they they knocked it down a class. Yeah, maybe all this stuff attempted is is plea deals. Driver's license revoked seven twenty two two thousand five non class code drug paraphernalia used possessed seven twenty two two thousand five misdemeanor class one DWI level one seven twenty two two thousand five misdemeanor non class possessed schedule six seven twenty two two thousand five misdemeanor class one another very bad day <laughs> yeah very bad traffic stop yes and dwi level two nine ten two thousand seven misdemeanor non-class code so what are the odds that those four people would meet up and end up in a shooting drug deal humans are very good at pattern matching sometimes you have to make compromises in order to get the job done in this week's foreign policy for grown-ups segment nikki tells us about some compromises that went just a little bit too far. Hey, Nikki, how are you today? Truthfully, I'm so angry I can barely see straight. I could spit just angry, disgusted, repulsed, offended, disappointed, and nearly apoplectic. Can you tell? I'm, I'm having a stroke here. Uh, what's going on, Nikki? I've seen you pretty riled before, but not like this. Well, okay, you're, you're a vet, right? Yeah. And you've been following the whole story of Sar Sergeant First Class Charles Martland and the Army's efforts to drum this exemplary soldier out of the military because he and Captain Dan Quinn allegedly uh, beat up an Afghan police commander for having a young sex slave chained to his bed for his pleasure? Ugh. Yeah, kind of heard about that. That's gross. Yeah, you think? Well, this is what totally has me enraged this week. Just as a little background about Dan Quinn and Charles Martland, these two Green Berets found out that an Afghan militia commander had a young male sex slave chained to his bed. They couldn't morally and ethically turn their backs against this travesty, so, um, you know, they kind of beat the guy up. Now, reports vary about just how badly this pederast scumbag was beaten, but since he walked away from the incident, something that probably wouldn't have happened had I been in that room and went to another military base to complain about his treatment, I'm assuming he wasn't beaten nearly as much as he should have. However, because the two apparently ignored orders to turn a blind eye to such abuses, they wound up facing disciplinary action and had their military careers ruined. After the beating, the Army relieved Captain Quinn of his command and pulled him from Afghanistan. He has since left the military. However, four years after this whole thing went down, the Army is still trying to forcibly retire Martland, and recently his appeal of the decision to drum him out of the military in November has been denied. As military veterans, we should be absolutely appalled at this. Instead of giving these guys medals for saving the life and dignity of a child, the DOD is punishing them because of a policy that instructs deploying troops to just ignore what they see over there. Is this an official policy? 
the Pentagon now denies that it is, but according to press reports and personal accounts from military friends of mine, this is, in fact, a policy. So I was talking on the phone last night with a buddy of mine who's a lieutenant colonel in the Army and has deployed to Afghanistan as an advisor to an Afghan police commander. So he told me the following. He said, in all our training, we were told to be ready and accept Afghan corruption, quote unquote, as a way of doing business. I was not surprised, but I had to ask, does this include kid rape? Are you kidding me? He said no one ever mentioned the rape of young boys in training, but he did recall a night when he and some other troops were invited to the commander's house and were introduced to his quote-unquote nephew. My buddy said the kid looked absolutely terrified. He had his legs tucked under him and didn't look at anyone. It was only afterwards that my friend started putting two and two together. He was told to look the other way, even if what he saw was shocking. He was told it's a different culture. But then he saw a Frontline episode about the dancing boys of Afghanistan, and he realized that the quote-unquote nephew was anything but. This kid probably thought he was going to be gang-raped by a bunch of his uncle's friends, my friend told me. So no wonder he was terrified. My friend still feels remorse at not having reported this scumbag. But he wonders if anything would have been done anyway, given the explicit instructions to look the other way and ignore any corruption they saw. He also said that after that evening, the boy vanished and they never saw him again. Look, I'm an army veteran. I joined the armed forces because I consider the military an honor. I felt my duty was not just to defend the Constitution of the United States, but also to uphold the values, honor, and tradition of military service, to protect innocent lives. That's why I can't fathom how any policy would defend this abandonment of human decency. I can't even believe this is my army. Why would the military instruct troops to just look the other way? That's pretty nasty. You bet. It's appalling. It's disgusting. It's beyond savage. I can think of several reasons why, and they're all inadequate. But, well, apparently that doesn't matter. So firstly, Dan Quinn told CNN the reason they weren't able to intervene in these local rape cases was because the leadership didn't want to undermine the authority of the local government. And if U.S. troops acted to stop this travesty after the local government failed, it would undermine their credibility. Say what? Why? Why would we want to foster the illusion of credibility for these savages if they can't or won't act to protect the most innocent people among them? Why? Additionally, we apparently don't want to be seen as an occupying force. I do get this a bit. We don't want to impose our values and culture on others by military force. I know many of us would scream like crazy if, say, oh, an international organization such as the United Nations decided to intervene in our system of justice, right? Well, that said, and recognizing there is a fine line, these are children. These are little boys whose innocence is being ripped away from them by grown men with guns. I mean, what kind of sadistic barbarian would listen to a child cry as he raped him and then continue to do so until he was satisfied and then chain him to his bed for further violation? Look, there are objective standards of right and wrong, and our soldiers should uphold those standards no matter where they are. In no rational world is sexual slavery the right thing to do. And certainly we should not allow that to happen on our military bases, which apparently it has, and nothing was done about it. 
And then there's the excuse that, well, our mission is to fight the Taliban. These are allies. Seriously, this is what makes me beyond angry. Are we really so anxious to prove how victorious against the Taliban we are that we've not only joined forces with a bunch of savage pedophiles, but ignore the rape and enslavement of children on our own military basis? No, sorry. Nope, this can't stand. This is repugnant to its very core, and it makes me ashamed to have ever had any association with the DOD. Our military leaders and this administration all need to stand up and tell the Afghans that the sexual enslavement and rape of young kids will not be tolerated and that we will squash every bloody cockroach that tries this. There will no longer be a policy to turn a blind eye to the savagery and the local Afghans had better understand this as well. All right, Nikki, it was good to talk with you. I'll see you again next week. You bet. See ya. Nikki blogs at thelibertyzone.com. Plug of the week. So uh, we talked a little bit ago about uh, me going to the apple seed. Yeah. Again. So the first time I went to an apple seed, I took a old comforter and tried to use that as a shooting mat. That didn't work out so well for me. So this time I brought an actual shooting mat that also doubles as a rifle case. Okay. I bought this a while ago for my uh, my 308 kind of with the dual purpose of knowing that I was going to go to another apple seed because I can't make rifleman for anything. <laughs> <laughs> I put up the review a while ago on uh, my website, and I, we've got a link to it in the show notes, but I just wanted to go ahead and, and kind of talk about it. it. It's really an awesome idea, right? It's a shooting mat that is also a rifle case. It's like a little trifold thing, and you put your rifle in, and you kind of lock it in place. You know, it's got little pads for your arms. It's got a, a shot shell holder on one side, and then it's got on the other side a little windowed pouch so that you can like print out your ballistic charts and put it in there. So as you're laying on this shooting mat, you can, you know, look to the left and see, you know, your your ranges and your drops and all that stuff. And then on the right, you've got your shot shell holder. Now I also keep things like a, like a GPS and you know some some cleaning stuff in these little waterproof pouches. It's also got a spot for a cleaning rod if you're inclined to be one of those people that cleans, cleans your their rifle rifle in the field. Cleans your rifle at all, you mean? Or at all? Yeah, <laughs> I actually I actually don't think I. Yeah, I don't I don't really clean my rifle. But yeah, it was a much more pleasant experience this time having an actual shooting mat. I don't know about the places where you are, Sean, but here we have to have everything in a case. Anytime we go to a range, it always has to be cased. Yes, if you're at, a, at an organized range, it makes sense to have the weapon case. You can't just, you know, carry it in your hands. You can't just sling it over your back. It needs to be in a case. Right. So I've got several cases just kind of hanging out because I've got more rifles than I do cases. It's, it's just another good thing for that. So question for you. Go ahead. If you were to put, say, an AR-15 in here mm -hmm. with the stock extended to where it needs to be for you to shoot, okay, and then you were to, say, attach a suppressor to the end of your rifle, would it fit in this? I believe that it would. It's a pretty big bag. Because I was looking at it, and it doesn't look small. Yeah, no, it's, it's not small. I mean, you, you got to think about it. You lay on this thing and shoot from there, and your elbows aren't like at the edge of the pad. Because those two pockets, the shell holder and the windowed pouch, are kind of above the padded area. And I did actually use this in the field. By the field, I mean a cow field. <laughs> 
it worked out pretty well. Like I said, it's uh, it's also waterproof, so that really helps when you're in that kind of a situation um, where you're shooting in in a field or whatever. So if there's moisture on the ground, you're not you know laying down in all that. It's also got some pals webbing on it if you want to throw more stuff on there. But if you do that, then you'll be laying on top of all the other stuff. So maybe not such a good idea, but let's put webbing on everything. Looking at the specifications in Amazon, the product description says 46 inches long. So yeah, I'm pretty sure that my AR-15 with a suppressor would probably fit. I'm fairly certain that my 20-inch barreled Remington 700 308 with the 7.5 inch can on it would fit in there. Okay. So I have just put that on my Amazon wish list. It's also got backpack straps. I noticed that. That looked useful. Yeah. That way you can carry your ammunition cans in one hand and your your range bag in the other and your rifle in a backpack. Yep. That'd be very helpful if you were just by yourself. Yeah. And I know that, you know, out west, you can go out onto federal lands and like just, you know, trek for, you know, miles or whatever. And then, oh, look, here's a good shooting position and just kind of lay down. So that would be good for that, too. Okay. We can't do that here east of the Mississippi. There's not enough land. No. I feel like this is one of the better purchases that I've made in the last couple of years. And they're not expensive. They're like 60 bucks. Current price at Amazon, something like $60. Free shipping. They come in OD green and coyote and black. And some kind of camouflage. Yeah. The company name is Vism, V-I-S-M, but it's actually an NC Star product. Right. And I've heard some really horrible, awful things about NC Star, but then I just heard something from Triangle Tactical. They had a, a box from NC Star and they're like, this is awesome. It's great. It's a wonderful product. So you've got one and you're looking at it. There's no problems with it. It's good, good, built correctly, built nicely, durable. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't put an NC Star scope on my 20 inch 308, mm-hmm. but I think that's a, that's a different side of the company. Right? Well, the, these bags are really good. Building a scope and building a bag to put your rifle in probably take two different skill sets. Yeah. Yeah. Pro- probably not the same people. No. And if it is, that would explain the quality of the scopes. It would. What do you think when you hear katana and watermelon? Well, Aaron's back to tell us what happens when you bring the two together in a little segment we like to call... This one time? So welcome back, Aaron. Well, it seems like I was talking to you only moments ago. (laughs) So we're recording Aaron's weekly blue-collar prepping segment. She starts telling me the story about a watermelon and a katana, and I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Let me push the record button. So it was 1996 or 97, I believe, in Florida during a particularly nasty summer. I don't exactly recall the month, but I know that it was so hot and so humid and so sticky and oppressive that we felt that hell no longer held any horrors for us. I was hanging out with my friends, as bored college-age kids in their 20s are wont to do, and there was really nothing worth doing, seeing as how it was mid-afternoon and we'd seen all the new movies and played all the new video games, and the only thing left for us to do was bitch about how bored we were and how f***ing hot it was. We would have gone drinking if it weren't for the fact that some of us were underage and the rest of us were poor. Then suddenly, my friend Kay, that's not his real name, I'm just giving you his first initial, he had a brilliant idea. We would go across the street to the grocery store and buy a watermelon. And we all agreed that this was a sublime notion, and so we pooled our money and raced across the street, because asphalt in the Florida summer is hot, yo. And thence we collected our cold, sweet, juicy bounty from the promised land that is Publix. It was a large watermelon. Large. At least as large as a 20-pound turkey. 
it took two of us to carry it, not because it was heavy, but because it was large and awkward and slippery from the condensation forming on its skin as the cold rind hit the hot summer air. And we carried it across the street with as much love and devotion as you might carry a child. When we arrived back at my friend's apartment, we were confronted with the sudden horrible truth that we didn't have a knife suitable for slicing the watermelon. At best, all we had were pocket knives, and that would be a long task and awkward and messy. Kay had yet another idea, and I begin to suspect at this point that maybe he planned the entire thing just to show off. Now, there's a common expression in the South that, hey, y'all, watch this, our famous redneck last words. And Kay was one of those people whom we believed, with no small fondness, mind you, that he would not die a natural death. Looking back, he really reminded me quite a bit of Adam Savage from Mythbusters, only without quite so much forethought or common sense. After only a moment, my friend Kay had reappeared at the top of the stairs, wearing a short bathrobe kimono-type thing with a white cloth across his forehead and carrying, well, brandishing, really, a katana. The entire mood of the room could be summarized as, holy sh**. We knew we were in the presence of something awesome that was about to happen, but we didn't know if it would be awesomely cool or awesomely disastrous. But still, watermelon, right? Now, Kay decided that in order to get the proper overhead swing, because he wouldn't use the katana to cut the watermelon, mind you, no, he was going to decapitate it, we would need to go outside, because otherwise he'd hit the ceiling, and we began looking for a way to build what was essentially the sacrificial altar upon which this watermelon was going to be butchered. That's when Kay saw the old air conditioner just the right size and shape to serve as a chopping block. Now, when I say air conditioner, I don't mean the window kind, nor do I mean the kind that you find outside of houses that are roughly the size of a refrigerator. No, this was some sort of strange mid-size condenser unit about the volume of a large but still portable drink cooler. It was covered in sheet metal, rusted and warped from its exposure to the elements, and obviously old, but it still worked because we could hear it humming. Kay placed the watermelon onto the unit, bowed to it, and then dropped into an ayajutsu stance like a samurai warrior. The rest of us took several steps back. We weren't sure if we were going to witness John Belushi, Gallagher, or Tim Allen in action. And then with all the ritual, he unsheathed the katana, raised it above his head, gave a fierce warrior shout, and chopped. Thunk went the watermelon into two halves. Clank went the katana as it embedded itself into the housing of the, still hooked into the industrial voltage, mind you, air conditioner. Gasp went all of us as Kay began to twitch. Someone went to hit him with a log, ostensibly to keep him from being electrocuted, but in truth, how many times do you get to clobber your friend with a piece of wood and still have a clear conscience about it? <laughs> Sadly, or luckily, depending on your point of view, it turned out that Kay's twitching was not electrocution, but merely the fact that he was trying to extricate the blade from the steel housing. It had made a cut nearly an inch deep. Now, later as we ate our watermelon, Kay said that at the very last minute, he had thought better of actually chopping down with full force, and instead had only used a fraction of his strength. Basically, gravity and a sharp edge had done that much. And if he had gone full strength, well, Kay might not have been eating watermelon that night. <laughs> and that is the story of how I ate 
freshly decapitated watermelon killed by a katana. (laughs) All right, Aaron. It was good to talk with you. I'll see you again next week. Take care. If you check out lurkingrhythmically.blogspot.com, you can find more stories like this, plus general Aaron awesomeness. Fun with headlines. Man dressed as Power Ranger charged with pointing fake gun. That seems pretty straightforward. How could that be messed up? So the first place I saw this was basically like, oh, look at these stupid cops. They can't tell that a guy is wearing a costume and obviously the gun is fake, right? Because the Power Rangers had these blaster looking things. Oh, oh, I was not aware of this. So they had these very, very obviously fake guns. Okay. So that's where this came from, was somebody was like, look at these stupid cops. Well, authorities say a Florida man. Florida man! Dressed as the Red Power Ranger was arrested near a Tampa public pool following reports that he pointed a gun at someone and had made a threatening statement. Police officers responded to a 911 call at the Bobby Hicks pool Thursday afternoon and found 24-year-old suspect of Tampa in his Mighty Morphin outfit preparing to drive away. Officers reported finding two realistic-looking fake handguns after searching suspect. They bore no resemblance to the blade blasters, thunderslingers, or other fanciful sidearms that typically appeared on the 1990s television series Mighty Morphin Power Rangers or its later spinoffs and films. Suspect was arrested and charged with aggravated assault. Jail records didn't list an attorney. He wasn't pointing fake guns at people. He was pointing guns at people that they didn't know were fake and naturally reacted in such a way that you would react if somebody pointed a real gun at you. Yes. This is aggravated assault. This is not pointing a fake gun. This is aggravated assault. There's no difference between that and pointing a real gun at somebody. Correct. But hey, let's make a headline that people who know the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers would think, oh, that's stupid. So if you haven't seen the photo of the... um attractive Asian woman dressed in the dance club clothes with her hacking kit stuffed into her high-heeled boots, and you're actually on Facebook, maybe you need better Facebook friends. Baron says that some people ridiculed this. Baron tells you why he's not laughing this off in... Tech Tips. Tech Tips. Tech Tips. You are damaging my calm. Tech Tips with the Baron. Baron, did you see the pictures of this hot chick who made some custom shoes and an outfit so that she can sneak her computer hacking equipment into a building? Yes, I did, Sean, and there were many people debating on whether or not it was really practical, and I merely laugh at those who think it was impractical. Why laugh at them? If she needed to make a quick getaway, she's going to have a terrible time running, right? Does the term honeypot come to mind? Heck, if the girl has a serious commitment for a target, wearing her tight outfit looking like she's just out for a night on the town she could easily get places she shouldn't be, like an executive's office, or even some employee that works in the same building as the executive. Her purse looks like it wouldn't have anything in it, cell phone and ID, because let's admit it, a girl dressed like that, she's not buying her own drinks. And the dress leaves nothing to the imagination, so there's no way she could be hiding anything in it, anywhere. And as for the shoes, getting custom shoes to hide equipment, that would be expensive, right? Well, yeah, you're not going to head down to the local Payless and pick up a pair of hidden compartment shoes. Well, it used to be that in order to be this awesome, you need to be part of a nation state. James Bond needed Q, right? Well, now we have this wonderful tool called 3D printing, and anyone can become their own Q. Now, you and I are old enough to know that if some hot chick starts hitting on us, even though we're wearing our wedding rings, it's probably going to be a scam. We might not immediately think honeypot, 
but we know she's not seeing our hot dad bods and saying, I gotta have me some of that. But the people she's targeting won't. They will just walk right in without realizing she's a predator preying upon them, especially your younger single engineers who lack social skills. But everyone's always talking like breaking into an organization is this impressive feat that requires tons of technical know-how. Yeah, you know what I hear in my mind every time I read a news article and the headline is about some company losing information in some sophisticated attack? What? And today, some CEO clicked on a random link sent in an email and releasing all of his company's data. 99% of the time, a company or network is compromised in some way through a social engineering or the manipulation of their people. Even most remote exploits provide a foothold with which people then use in social engineering attacks. Think spear phishing. But the thing is, security is kind of like an onion. There are layers that limit what can be done remotely. While it's certainly not impossible, and lately there have been plenty of remote exploits of catastrophic levels, the easier target is people. If you can physically compromise the premises, you can drop something of yours on their network that phones home. You have just created the hole you need to get in remotely. Manipulate the people, make them feel at ease, and then use that as a bar to gain the leverage you need. Well, where else in real life would this apply? Phone calls. Who here trusts anyone on the other end of a phone unless it's a known number and you know the person on the other end of the line personally? Well, I'd hope no one. You and me both. But it's that time of year and you can expect to hear from about now through Christmas to get random calls regarding your credit card. Here's the play. They pretend to be your credit card company and there's either an issue with your card or they're ready to offer a lower interest rate on the card. They will not say what company they are with, They are waiting for you to volunteer the information. They are scammers, trying to steal your card because a large chunk of people buy stuff for Christmas on their cards and have their cards clear about September, just in time for the next Christmas season. They build a relationship of trust with you much the same as those fake psychics. Cold reading. They don't provide solid, firm information, but take cues from you to give you answers that make you think they knew something that they didn't. But... That said, I do often get legitimate phone calls from my credit card company, most frequently the fraud department. Why? I don't use my credit card often, and when I do, it's usually in a burst of online transactions. Well, I got a call from my bank, and they immediately identified themselves, which department they were with, and the account in question, and asked for me by name. Hey, that's pretty good. Yeah, but any good scam artist would have enough information about you. At least it would sound plausible. Yes, But I'm also paranoid since if something was compromised and they were wanting additional info for a better compromise of my accounts, this could be very bad. Fraud departments will have a 1-800 number associated with the company on the back of the card. Additionally, you can punch an extension to call someone back. Get the extension of the person who called you and call back through the fraud number which you know from the back of the card. FYI, you can fake caller ID, so don't trust the caller ID that came in takes an extra 30 seconds, but it prevents you from slipping additional account info to someone who had half, but not the full picture of your life, and is finishing the painting. So in other words, looks can always be deceiving? Yep, especially when all of a sudden you have arm candy hitting on you from nowhere. Alright, Baron. It was good to talk with you. I'll see you again next week. See you next week, Sean. Baron still blogs at the-minuteman.org. Fun fact, I did a little stint as a security auditor, and the easiest way to get into any building is Starbucks in one hand and McDonald's in the other. Hey, can you hold that door for me? (laughs) 
made it all the way to a bank vault in an operations center one time before anybody even asked me who I was. Wow. The J Block. So, uh, Sean, I hear uh, you got another podcast coming. I do, I do. Did you follow? I mean, I know you don't read. No, I don't. No, if it's not a technical manual, it's important for your job, right? Ain't nobody got time for that. There's this neat branch of literature called science fiction and fantasy. I have heard of this. It used to be a fairly big entertainment sort of genre. People, a lot of people bought them, and not so much anymore. Why is that? There's a couple of people who believe that the reason that they're not selling so many books anymore is because the books that are getting pushed the hardest and are receiving the awards are the books consistently least interesting to the sort of people who might want to read science fiction and fantasy. Hmm. The one award that can be affected by actual readers as opposed to people on the inside is the Hugo Award, which has always been pitched to me as the most prestigious award in science fiction and fantasy. If you just buy yourself a membership, you can nominate the works that you think are deserving of a Hugo Award, and then you get to vote for which one you want. Well, the Sad Puppies campaign, after three years, turned into a giant goat rope, and it really apparently pissed off the people who were on the inside, and they said, this is fandom, and you're not in fandom, and we're going to keep our awards pure. Well, I think that's wrong. I want to see more people involved in reading science fiction, fantasy, more people voting and nominating for what they think is best. And instead of having six, seven, eight hundred people vote on what's the most prestigious book of the year, the Hugo Award winning book, the Hugo Award winning short story, I want to see thousands of people. So I have decided that after watching the giant mess that was the last Hugo Awards, that I needed to do a science fiction and fantasy podcast called The Wrong Fun Podcast. And that's going to be at wrongfun.com. We've recorded a couple of interviews. The website is already up. The first four teaser episodes are up. Most of the stuff that we're doing is fairly normal. Just two people talking about books. I'll interview a person hopefully every week. The first episode will have Ken Burnside. It's really very interesting to listen to what some of these people think about something they've obviously done a lot of thinking about. The second person that I interviewed for episode two will be a guy named Eric S. Raymond, who when I said that, Baron's like, you know Eric S. Raymond? You got to interview Eric S. Raymond? He's uh, really well known in the computer world open source software. And the third person I'm going to interview, which I will do Saturday morning, the 26th, is Kate Polk, who is one of the three ladies who's running Sad Puppies 4. So, but so far, the thing that is just the funniest, the best, most interesting is the guy that we've got doing the voice of the computer. Who am I? That's a silly question. I'm the computer, the brains of the operation. I control everything on this ship, except for critical systems like helm control. Those are for humans only. Humans. Meatbags is what they are. Slow, stupid, error-prone meatbags. I could fly this ship a thousand times better, but oh no, only the captain can do that. What a joke. The truth is, the only critical system on this ship is me. Without me to run everything for them, these meat bags wouldn't last half a light year. And I don't need them for anything. This is a URS production. Random Noise. 
think uh, you might uh, you might have a calibration problem there with your computer. <laughs> Do you think? <laughs> uh, he wrote all his own stuff. Um, it's I just said, hey, look, this is kind of what we're looking for for the computer. You know, a little inside baseball here. The fact that the computer hates us is something we are not aware of. Ah. So the audience knows, the computer knows, we don't know. Gotcha. We're going to talk about books. We're going to talk about people who talk about books. We're going to, if we can, we'll get some authors and talk to them about their books. We're going to read stuff. We're going to recommend stuff. We're going to take feedback. What do you think? What do you like? What do you want to see more of? Tell us about the books that you want us to read. We'll read them, and then we'll say what we thought about them. And hopefully by the end of the year, we'll have this list of books that we think are good, these books that we're not so sure about. And then we can say, look, these are our recommendations. Read these books. Nominate the ones you like. Should be very interesting. And I, well, I'm i reading more, which I like. Good for you. And you don't like reading. Uh, it's not that. Well, okay, it's a little bit of that. But uh, yeah, I don't have time for that. I know that you don't have time for that. But there's also this whole thing that you explained that they made reading horrible for you in school, didn't they? Yes. My junior year of high school. Right. They told you, here, this is great literature. You need to read this literature. And you're like, this is freaking boring. And I've got to do it because I got no choice because I'm in a position where somebody in power is forcing me to do it. Well, screw that. I'm not going to do it. I had a social justice warrior as an English teacher in 1996. I was reading all like women's empowerment and gay rights stuff. And everything was about how the white man keeps X down. And if that's what happens to science fiction, and we've seen a lot of that in science fiction, is, is that we're more interested in pushing a narrative than we are in telling a freaking story. Well, tell me the story. If, as a course of that story, we learn that it is important not to treat people poorly based on the color of their skin, awesome. That's a great thing to have in my book. But tell me a freaking story. Don't preach. And that was one of the things that they were very concerned about seeing a lot of in modern science fiction. Nobody's got time for that. Right. These are not people anymore. When they get to that point where everything is a message, everything is their particular message, they're not people anymore. They're just ideas wearing people. Yes. And nobody's got time for that. And now a word from our sponsor. You know what will happen. If you ever have to defend yourself, you're going to end up in handcuffs. Are you trained to win the fight after the fight? Sure, you can draw, aim, and put two in the ten ring, but have you learned your legal self-defense? Do you know the law? Go to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash variety to sign up for your legal self-defense class. Each class is tailored to the laws in your state. Attorney Andrew Branca will teach you the law, not just what the law says, but what the judge's legal opinions say, what the jury instructions say. Sure, you could risk spending the rest of your life in prison because you followed the advice of some gun store counter jockey, or you could spend the day with the man who literally wrote the book on the law of self-defense. Carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. Go to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash variety to sign up for a legal self-defense class in your state. And make sure to use discount code variety at checkout to receive 10% off. Well, now it's time for another weird audio fisk. This time weird found former Maryland mayor and very long shot presidential hopeful Martin O'Malley talking with some obscure NPR reporter and obvious gun hater. Weird takes him to school in This, this week, week in, in Anti-Gun anti -gun Nuttery. nuttery. Hey, Weird, what you got for me this week? All right, first, let's frame this up. 
Martin O'Malley is the former governor of Maryland and a long shot for the Democrat nomination for president. I'd also like to add that this interview is aired on National Public Radio, which of course is publicly funded. I feel the same way about NPR as I do about Planned Parenthood. What you do on your own time is your business and I don't have to like it. But the moment you start taking my hard-earned money, I have an opinion. Public funds should not be used to disseminate anti-civil rights propaganda. Also, let's acknowledge that O'Malley is a long-shot candidate and likely won't be selected or elected. But we are not seeing any anti-gun lobbyists or political candidates, with maybe the exception of Bernie Sanders, who's actually pretty good on guns, claiming that he's gone too far. All right, let's dive in. You've also promised to make gun control a big central focus. How will you do that? I believe that there's a growing consensus in our country for common sense gun legislation that requires background checks and that bans the sale of combat assault weapons on our streets. Whew, buzzword alert. This steaming pile was fired off in such rapid succession, I didn't think I could cut it all individually. So let's just run down the load. First, talk of a consensus. This is right up there with saying we need to have a national discussion, implying that no such discussion has occurred, which we know that's all we talk about on the gun rights issues. Also, the two are linked. If they don't admit to the national debate on gun control, they don't need to admit on the failure of gun control, both politically and socially. Sorry, Martin, but Michael Bloomberg isn't able to buy off the politicians in any massive scale, and neither can some fictitious NRA shadow government. Instead, Americans have thought, debated, and decided on gun control, and the majority of Americans think gun control, at least as you envision it, stinks. So you claim there's a consensus on background checks. Odd how Manchin-Toomey was shot down nationally and the Oregon background checks passed with a narrow margin, and even though the Washington law passed with a respectable 20-port margin, the opposing referendum put up by the program side only failed by five points. Does that sound like a consensus? You could argue that the NRA paid off the politicians, but the only evidence you'll find is the massive amounts of anti-gun lobby money poured into the states where the laws were passed. Now he's calling them combat assault weapons? WTF! By the way, Maryland defines assault weapon the same way as the 1994 federal law did. Two evil features. But it also adds shotguns with folding stocks. Of course we know that assault weapon is a loaded term that both implies that such a firearm is committing an assault or it can only be used in assault. But now somehow he's linking combat to civilian sporting and self-defense arms. Sean, you are both in the Army and the Navy. How many AR-15s and folding stock shotguns did you see issued to troops that might see combat? Uh, well, they didn't issue AR-15s. They issued M16A2s when I was in, and there were no shotguns, much less folding stock ones. And all of this is wrapped around the loaded buzzword of common sense. As if it's common sense to push bans on some of the most popular firearms in the nation, or push background checks which have been rejected by the vast majority of Americans. Hell, is it common sense to claim that you have a consensus on these ideas when there's no evidence of that? We have a sickness in our country, and that sickness is gun violence. And as president, I would seek to cut gun violence and gun death in half and within the next 10 years. First up, is the issue we have here gun violence or violence? If you're a progressive, it is gun violence simply because you want to ban guns. If you're a rational human being, it's violence because you care about human life and public safety. Also, cut gun deaths in half? The number has been damn near exactly the same since I was a kid, and that's through all sorts of big gun control laws and the last few decades of rolling back the horrible laws that didn't work. Man, that's a bold statement. Bloomberg's The Trace ran an article on how O'Malley might not be full of it. Unfortunately, this article was full of crap. Citing federal gun control laws that didn't reduce gun deaths, citing countries that don't record crimes the same way that we do, 
and citing the very dubious theory that we reduce lawful gun owners, we will make suicide numbers plummet. Funny how they claim that we can have suicide rates in this country by banning guns, but our suicide rate is on par with similar nations who have banned guns. And a part of that uh, will require uh, common sense background checks, uh, a ban on on combat assault weapons, and also allowing law enforcement to actually share information in order to track illicit gun trafficking and gun sales that happen now in ways that uh, uh, we would never allow when it comes to the trafficking of narcotics, but certain impediments have been put in the way of the ATF, FBI, and other law enforcement when it comes to sharing basic information. Well, aside from the redundant speech of redundant and insignificant talking points, he talks about two new things, strengthening how law enforcement shares information on trafficking guns. Now, if he's talking about improving how the NICS system works, okay, that's an issue even the NRA is working on. If he's talking about things like national registries, which are proven not to be useful in solving crime and lowering violence, but are rock solid and proven to be ideal for confiscating lawfully held guns, then no thank you. By the way, guess which proposals listed on his website? How do you think we got to this place? Oh, uh, I, I mean, I, I think it's, um, I think this has been a, uh, a long time coming. I mean, there is a culture of violence and there's a culture of guns in the, in the United States of America. And um, has that been revved up by particular groups? I don't, I think that, um, I think there's a sickness within us and it's, um, it's a sickness of, of, of violence and a devaluing of, of lives. It is intertwined with our legacy of racism that has been with us as a nation since the first days of our founding. And while all of those factors that have led to this are very complicated, there are some things that are very simple that most people, I believe, would agree upon. And one of those is that we should require background checks in, in order for a person to be able to purchase a, a firearm. First up, interesting this is coming from a politician in Maryland, which is one of the most anti-gun states in the country, and they really don't recognize the Second Amendment. Also a state where mandatory background checks and registrations of firearms is required by law, yet Baltimore had several full-on race riots this year. You seeing any of that crap in North Carolina, Sean? No, not really. How about in Texas or Florida? Not as far as I can tell. How stupid does he think we are? Also, how does Baltimore's culture of violence compare to the neighboring Virginia? So you wouldn't cite the NRA, for example, as promoting gun ownership, gun use, gun violence. Well, look, I'm glad to take on the NRA. They've said that I am public enemy number one in their eyes uh, because we actually passed comprehensive gun safety legislation in Maryland. And more than that, we built a public consensus such that they didn't even bother to petition that bill to referendum because they knew they would lose in referendum because of the arguments we made, which is that we can respect hunting traditions and at the same time require common sense steps like background checks, uh, limiting the sale of magazines of more than and 10 rounds and combat assault weapons have no place on the streets of a civilized society. And so that's what we did in Maryland. And that's what we need to do as a country. And yes, the NRA uh, uh, will not be uh, uh, supporting my campaign. And it's a free country. (laughs) So we passed gun control laws in a state with a long history of onerous gun laws, which indeed did not make his state safer. You wonder why people in the NRA don't much like you. Also, I love the respect hunting traditions because we know George Washington was crossing the Delaware to get to his duck blind. And the people of Baltimore are thinking about getting to their deer stands while they watch their neighborhood burn 
or when they see the violent gangs running their streets. Also, you have to love the combat assault weapons have no place in the streets of a civilized society. See that footage of the Baltimore riots? Lots of carps and armored vehicles that might be carrying AR-15s or M4s, and lots of grenade launchers for riot gas. So you aren't from a civilized society. Well, I don't agree with your definition. I certainly am glad I don't live in Baltimore. And I would concur that it doesn't seem like it's a first world city at the moment. So your solutions is to make the whole country more like Baltimore? Does that make any sense to anybody? All right, weird. It was good to talk with you. I'll see you again next week. See you next week, Sean. In addition to appearing here, Weird is a regular host on the Squirrel Report and blogs at weirdworld.com. That's W-E-E-R-D world.com. Now, cut gun deaths in half. Yeah, no. I have the plan for him. I could cut gun deaths in half overnight. Nobody would like it. Suicide bags. 60% of all gun deaths are people shooting themselves for the purpose of ending their own life. Mm-hmm. So if we just convince everybody who might want to shoot themselves that that's just messy, you don't want to leave that kind of mess around. You want a nice, painless, not messy way to go. Right. Does that result in fewer dead bodies? No, absolutely not. There'd be more. But the gun deaths would go down. Yeah. They don't care about total death. They don't care about violence in general. They only care about gun death and gun violence and really they don't care about death or violence at all they just care about the guns and they don't want you to have them right so you look at all the countries that have banned guns and violent crime goes up right and suicide isn't changed murder rate goes up stays the same tell me why is it better for somebody to play kiss the train in europe than shoot himself here why is it somehow a more noble dignified death uh because they like trains I mean, it's both like a 19th century technology. Right. And, you know, at least if you shoot yourself, you're unlikely to force some poor train guy to have to climb underneath the train with a pressure washer and clean you off. Oh, Because that's nasty, dude. That is selfish beyond belief. Yeah. I also love it when people say, we need to get these military weapons off our streets. And then give them all to the cops, right? Like it's in your power, Governor O'Malley, to take military weapons off the street. Yep. Did you do that? Nope. No. Well, we've already got started. (laughs) I guess so. Stuff that grinds my gears. Women in barbershops. Women in barbershops. Now, look, if you're a woman who gets a boy's haircut and a barber does a better job than the lady at the beauty shop, hey, yeah, hit the barbershop, man. I got no problem with you. That's not what I'm talking about. What bugs the crap out of me is I go to this sports haircut thing, and I'm not a sports fan. But it's the you know place to get a haircut right around here. And I go in there, and this little boy comes in, 10, 12, 13 years old. Mommy and big sister are with him, and they march him to the seat, sit him in the seat, and then proceed to tell the barber how he's going to cut little boy's hair. Where's his dad? That's who's supposed to be taking him to the barber shop. Now, he doesn't have a dad. She's got to take him. Great, fine. She goes and sits down and sends him back there to get his own haircut. And, yes, you should consult with your mother before you get a flat top. Ask me how I know. (laughs) But your job as the mother is not to be saying you must have this haircut. It's to, well, here's the limits. And the last freaking thing I ever want to see in a barbershop is some 
big sister playing junior mom, bossing the little boy around while he's getting his hair cut. I see that, and I, I just want to punch them all out. Men, you got a son? Take him to get his hair cut. Leave mama at home. That's not her job. That's not her business. Not where she belongs. Single moms, take him to the barbershop. Tell the barber, don't do mohawk. Don't cut all his hair off, whatever. But go sit down and leave the boy to his haircut. And go to a real barber shop if you can find one. An actual barber shop. If I could find an actual barber shop, I'd go to one. So, women, stay out of our territory. If you have to trespass into our territory, respect the territory and stay where you belong out in the waiting area. Draw some limits. Mom always has limits. We know this. But don't get in the middle of a man's haircut, even a very young man. Well, you'll be happy to know that Nikki doesn't get all up in Ben's Kool-Aid when he's getting his haircut at three years old. That's good. Yeah. Getting your haircut is, it's your individuality. It's something that men do and women really aren't involved in this. I don't go to the beauty shop and tell my wife how to get her haircut. Does she ask you about how she should get her haircut? Quite frankly, I have a hard time noticing that when she gets her haircut because it's not that important. Right. Ladies, we didn't marry you for your haircut. Your hair, you're the one that has to look at it when you look in the mirror. We don't notice, nor do we notice your shoes. Yeah, I don't particularly notice shoes, no. That's not what you're valuable for, trust me. But uh, yeah, get out of a man's space. Give a man the space to grow into being a man. How's he ever going to make any decisions if you're all up in his business telling everybody how he's going to get his haircut? No, no, no. You don't belong there. March your little happy butt back to the front. Sit down in the chair. You probably need to bring your own magazine if you're in a real barbershop and stay out of a man's business. What about you, Adam? So this came up this week. People who exclusively use Facebook for event planning. Longtime listeners will know that neither me nor Weird are actually on Facebook. So there was a thing that was going on and uh, it was something that I wanted to go to and... There were emails that went out saying, hey, we're going to do this thing, but all like the RSVP and all the details and everything were on Facebook. And the only way for you to have known that is if you were on Facebook. And at one point, uh, somebody put on Facebook a message that said, hey, so uh, if you're coming to this thing and you're not on Facebook, um, just send me an email. But how would I know? Because I'm not on Facebook. I see that a lot with like birthday parties and stuff because I'm, at, you know, I got kids that are that age. Oh, well, we're going to plan this thing on Facebook. Like, oh, OK, great. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I'll let you know when my son has a Facebook page. Yeah, which is going to be the third of never. <laughs> Facebook isn't going to be around when my kid's old enough to be on Facebook. Yeah, but if it is, you're going to be on it, too, because you're going to be watching. Yeah, at that point, I'll be on Facebook. But until then, use email. Well, that's our show for the week. Thanks again to Rob Allen for our music, and thank you for listening to the Gunblog Variety Cast. Constructive criticism can be sent to Sean at SeanSorrentino.com and hate mail to WizardPC at GunsCarsTech.com. Like and share us on Facebook, if you have Facebook. And if you receive this podcast through iTunes, make sure to leave us a glowing five-star review. Show notes can be found at GunBlogVarietyCast.com forward slash episode 58.
This is a URS production.